Can you believe it has been 10 years since Satya Nadella took over at Microsoft? I cannot. It's, it is it's gone by remarkable. very quickly. Yeah. yeah, it's gone by very a good, quickly. A good run, I'd say. So far, you know, $3 trillion valuation, not too bad. Do you remember when a big part of the news cycle for multiple days was whether Alan Mulally, the former Boeing commercial airplanes and Ford CEO, was going to come in and run the company? I'm sorry. I'm sure he's a great executive. What a disaster that would have been. You could have had the Microsoft self-driving vehicle. <laughs> maybe, maybe it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. John, I am excited about this week's show. I am too. Hit me. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> What's so, going to happen, really? So later on, I'm introducing a new segment to the show. I think Name that it. tech tune. No, I'm not bringing back Name That Tech Tune. That was a fun segment. That kind of yeah. had its run. Okay. Back in the day, we had something called App of the Week, and I'm not bringing back App of the Week. AI of the Week. I don't. I thought about calling it AI of the Week, but I'm going to call it My AI. Oh, that's clever. Clever. Yes. I came up with that on my own. No help from ChatGPT. So stick around for that coming up later on in the show. I'm excited about it, and I think we're going to have a good conversation. Okay. The John. domain's taken, Todd. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going there now. Well, actually, it's it says the domain is registered and protected by Mark Monitor. It's possibly available for a price. Okay. First, before we get to that, back in November, John, you may recall early November, November 2nd, Jeff Bezos, out of the blue on Instagram, announced that he would be moving his primary residence from Seattle where he built Amazon into one of the behemoths of the modern business world and tech industry. And taking my talents to Miami. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's exactly what he said. <laughs> yeah. It's not what he said, but that was the spirit. He said he was moving from Seattle to Miami and everybody was like, well, why is he announcing this on Instagram? It seems kind of out of the blue and perhaps a little random. And there was a conspiracy theory at that point that we maybe even floated. Yes, we floated it, and, <laughs> but it wasn't confirmed, and it certainly didn't have any evidence behind it at the time, that he was, in fact, announcing this publicly so as to say to the IRS later when he would otherwise be paying Washington State's new capital gains tax, that he actually doesn't have to pay that anymore because he's no longer a resident of Washington State. And lo and behold, John, Amazon's 10K filing... I love me some SEC I know you filings. Do. Yeah, I do too. Yes. Full Came of information. Just last week. And it said that Amazon's founder and executive chairman, Jeff Bezos, established a trading plan on November 8th, 2023, to sell up to 50 million Amazon shares during a period ending in January 2025. I'm paraphrasing there. Now, you think it's just a coincidence <laughs> that he didn't announce that in. October or September. <laughs> it's so close that you would think he would try and make it a little less obvious, right? But clearly he was having meetings with his lawyers at the time and they were discussing his trading plan. And they said, well, wait a second, you need to make some sort of public declaration that you're no longer living in Seattle. That, Maybe. That's obvious. Uh, okay. Maybe. I mean, there are a lot of ways that that discussion could right. have played out. He could have been talking to his lawyers and said, I'm thinking about moving to Miami. 
and they said, well, look at this great tax benefit that you get by going there. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. I'm just saying there are, there, are, there are multiple scenarios that could play out. Okay. So <laughs> the interesting thing here is by not living in Seattle as his primary residence, when he sells 50 million Amazon shares at what would be at today's share price around $8.5 billion in proceeds, that means he would be saving back in the napkin math, $600 million in tax expense by just simply saying, and perhaps following through on not living in Washington state as his primary residence anymore, $600 million. Now this capital gains tax has been very controversial. Many affluent people in the community opposed it for obvious reasons of self-interest and also because some theorized that it might cause innovators to move out of the state or not locate here in the first place. When you look back on this now, John, and the decision that was made to enact this capital gains tax, how does this new development shape your view of it? I don't think it's changed much. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the overall capital gains tax? Oh, <laughs> do we have to get into what my feelings are no, on, on taxation? I, not, no. I, mean, I mean, it's not I, relevant to us regardless. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, and probably never will be. Um, a few thoughts. It plays into some deeper analysis I have about Jeff Bezos and Amazon and Seattle and our place, as, our place in this world. One of my theories as it relates to Bezos establishing, and we talked about this the last time we had this discussion now on the podcast. Now we have this new information. Now we have this new information. I guess it plays into this. That Bezos set up operations in Washington State for completely opportunistic reasons, not for a love of community or a sense of place. And because of those things, I think you see behavior such as this which is somebody who is not rooted to a sense of place or a community that would move because of taxes as one of the factors. I think there are multiple factors, and we should say Bezos has never said publicly, not that he has to, there's no reason he has to come out and say, but he has never said that he is leaving the state in part because of taxes. He said, and I'll take him at his word on this, he said he wants to be closer to Blue Origin. Now, of course, Blue Origin has big operations in the Seattle area too, but also in Florida. And also to his parents. To his parents who who live there. And, you know, he has a new fiance and I'm guessing that they what? I think have they gotten married yet? I don't think so. Okay. I th- I, I don't think they've been married yet. Now, there was just the big party that Bill Gates attended and other celebs attended. But that was Bezos's what was that? That was his 60th birthday party? Is that right? We are not reading People Magazine. Enough, I'm not. Clearly. I know. That is really true. But they just had a big shindig. And I think Lauren Sanchez was referred to as his fiance still in okay. that piece. Are, are you finding this? Yes. It they looks had, like it looks like they have not yet gotten married. Okay. Yes. But they did have a big party yes, down in for LA. 60th it was his 60th, right? Yep. And so I think, you know, that plays in into it as well. He has a new girlfriend, fiance, who and I'm guessing they don't want to live in Seattle. So there are a lot of factors here. Yep. But I think this is a factor. I mean, I'm sure it played into the decision in terms and especially as it related to 
the public pronouncement, which he didn't have to do. These billionaires have houses all over the place. Why does it matter if he spends 16 days in Seattle and 40 days in LA and 200 days in Miami? Well, it does matter. Right. It matters for tax taxes. And I think he wanted to get it on the record. And so the timing is very interesting that a week later, after this big pronouncement, he establishes, he establishes this plan to establishes sell this stock. stock plan. Now, you said he didn't come to Seattle for love of the community. And I guess in a different way, he did because he came here for the love of the software talent that's in this community. And to your point, though, he did not grow up here like a Bill Gates or a yeah, Paul and Allen. I don't want to be like a homer, but it's always struck me that I feel like there was an element of him extracting the resources like a person who was an oil man that comes into town and pumps all the oil out and then goes on to the next drilling hole. And like, I just have that feeling about him and I might be completely off base, but it stuck with me throughout his entire legacy here in Seattle. And so to me, it's not that surprising that this is happening. And I think this is another piece of evidence that plays into that theory. And to me, as somebody who loves this place and has a very strong sense of community, that smarts. I don't like that. And, um, you know, I don't want to get on my soapbox too much about it, but and he can do whatever he wants with with his time and money. But just that's not the way I think I would want to live my life. I feel like I need to point out in full disclosure, I grew up in California. You grew up in Ohio. Both of us are transplants. I guess the point you're making is, hey, we're still here. (laughs) <laughs> well, true. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah. I, and I, this is my home. I proudly declare I love Seattle. I love being here. I want to make it a better community. I want to invest in it as best I can. And that's important to me. It's, it's one of my values. And not everyone has to have that value, but it's one of mine and it's important to me. So I'm going to hold it out there. I could see someone responding to you and saying, hey, look at everything Jeff Bezos did for the community. Yes, and he did, and I'm not going to discount that. One of the things that he set up was some philanthropies that focus on early childhood education, preschool, helping homeless families find a place to live and get back on their feet. And just the economic benefits of Amazon itself is is – Right. massive. That and, would and, be kind and, of a libertarian and, view, yeah, and, which would and, be appropriate. Perhaps. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's notable. I just think to me, it's not only about the economic driver and the creation of jobs, If especially if you're a business person. I think it's important to have a sense of community and a rising tide should lift all boats. One of the interesting measures that our colleague Lisa Stifler brought up just as back of the napkin math on an email thread that we were on is that Bezos has contributed about a hundred million dollars personally back to Washington state. If you look at his philanthropies and we haven't reported that out and checked it out, but that's roughly the proportion. So you compare that hundred million to the 600 million that otherwise would have been coming in just from this one stock sale. And you can see the proportion and the impact that this one law and this one person's decision had on, frankly, the state budget. I mean, that's not insignificant in the context of a governmental budget. I mean, that, that could buy a lot of things. So it's an interesting question. It's an interesting discussion. It's fascinating to me how policy and law impacts behavior 
and economics in situations like this, especially when you've got somebody who is that freaking rich, it just blows it up into a bit of a caricature. And I think it's just really interesting to examine and watch. And I know we're going to look at this some more on the news side. Yeah, I think it's worth exploring. There is a massive discrepancy here between uh, the, I mean, when you look at the amount of stock, that $50 million, shares. Those, that, those 50 million shares that he's selling, it's, what did you say? Roughly 8 billion. 8.5. It would take his stake down in Amazon when he sells those 50 million shares from what, 12.8% to like, a, it's it's like. It's a half of a percent. It's a, half, a little a more half, than 12%. Half of a percent. A half so a percentage point. You're not even scratching the surface of the wealth. And then you hear $8.5 billion just through that stock. And it's just like, that's more money than anybody would possibly ever need. That's why you have things like the Giving Pledge, where all these billionaires are promising to give away the bulk of their wealth over their lifetimes. So there's a lot of nuance here, more than we can capture in a 10-minute segment. But to me, this direct line that became even more clear through this filing is just fascinating to see. And it's just one more data point for people to take into account on both sides of the issue and all sides of the issue. Coming up next, I want to share one of the cool ways that I've been using AI lately. That's right around the corner. You're listening to GeekWire. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. You're listening to the GeekWire podcast. John, if this segment takes off, we'll have to come up with some sort of theme song like we used to have when we did this on the radio. Love it. Yes. <laughs> but for now... You could I, just put it into some AI <laughs> engine to create some... There you go. One of the segments could be creating the theme and music. And then we could have readers vote on which one they like There best. we go. I yeah. love this. This is how it works. For now, yes. let's just call it My AI. My AI. <laughs> <laughs> you like the perfect, jingle? Perfect. That was good. That was good. Fighting a cold, I can't sing. Okay, John. As you may know, I am a huge fan of text-to-speech applications. The idea that you can shift from reading something on a page or a screen to listening to it in your ears. And this week, with the help of Hacker News, which I've started reading even more loyally lately because wow. they've got all these hack yes hacker I have news not, i was old school yes yeah hacker yeah. news I used to read slash it all the time. yeah do not read it anymore i've been sort of revisiting some of these classic old sites because i'm finding lots of cool stuff still there so this came via hacker news this is an app that i want to share with you that's been getting some buzz it is called read to me it's very simple it's made by an entrepreneur out of the bay area it's not the only app that does this but in my experience, it's the best one that I've used, at least. It's called Read to Me. And the whole idea is you take your phone. It's unfortunately iOS only right now, which is why I have in my hand my seamless iPhone 10 that dates back a few years. I'm on Android now, but this is my last iPhone that I kept for reasons exactly okay. like this. Okay. So you take a phone. Yeah. And... 
You take you, a picture of the you, bar, so, barcode on the book. No, you don't take... That would be... That's brilliant, John. Yeah, that's that that's, would be, that really would be cool. cool. Right. <laughs> no, and then no, it, it's then not it's, that good. Oh, no, it's not that good. Okay, so I brought in one of my favorite books, which actually will form the basis for a discussion in the third segment. I'm going to tap scan new passage. I'm going to pick the voice. Then I'll say start scanning. So let me scan this page. There it is. So I got it scanned. Okay. I'm dragging the corners to the corner of the page just to make sure it's getting it all in the right place. So you're scanning one page. I'm scanning one page, but you could get very good at this and just, for example, scan, scan 350 a chapter. pages. Well, this sounds like the biggest waste of time. So here's how I Jeez. would use this. Like, well, I think I've they need to get the barcode technology. <laughs> okay. where they like, I love this. Yeah, you're the come skeptic. on. How I would envision doing this is you're reading your book. You want to go out and take a walk. So you say, okay, I'm going to go through it and I'm going to scan the next chapter. Ideally, it's like 12 to 15 pages. You sit there, you scan it. So I'm saving that right now. We're going to see how long it takes. Okay. So, so you have to take pictures picture of, of the individual, individual pages. pages. Uh, that's no. a, that's okay. a showstopper. Showstopper? Okay. Yeah, I don't, I've got an even bigger that. showstopper for you because it's 10 bucks a month. Okay. <laughs> <this>. Jeez. <laughs> and once again, this is called Read to Me. It's available only on iOS for now. So it's scanning it currently. Okay. It's now ready. So I'm going to play it for you, John. Okay. And I actually know, I've scanned this page before, so I know exactly where to go to, to queue it up. You could have read the page in this amount of time. Job one was to build hope. This was day one of our transformation. I knew it must start from within. A few minutes later, I stood on stage for a photo that would soon go viral. It captured the smiling faces of Bill Gates, Steve Ballmer, and me, the only CEOs in Microsoft's 40-year history. The image I remember even more vividly, however, is looking into the eyes of hundreds of Microsoft employees in the audience waiting for my presentation, their faces reflecting hope, excitement, and energy mingled with anxiety and a touch of frustration. Like me, they'd come to Microsoft to change the world, but now we're frustrated by our company's stalled growth. They were being wooed by competitors. Saddest of okay. all, many felt the company was losing the point. soul. <laughs> you talked right Steve over the kicker. <laughs> <laughs> so long. Who's going to sit there and listen to all that? So, I mean, what is the kicker? I was getting bored. Saddest of all, many felt the company was losing its soul. This was well, Satya Nadella in his book, Hit Refresh, The Quest to re Rediscover Microsoft's Soul and Imagine a Better Future for Everyone. This to me why is don't you just remarkable. Pay, how, much would it, okay. how much would it cost you to pay okay. to purchase that on Audible? Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So... To me, the beauty of this is, number one, I didn't have to buy the book on Audible. Number two, the technology is so remarkable that you can take words on a printed page and within about 30 to 40 seconds, have it being read in something very close to a human voice in your ears is extraordinary to me. That's pretty cool. Yes. I mean, that's, that's, that's nice. I just don't think I would... Right. Use it. No, I understand. I understand. And that reflects sort of your take on the technology. I use this actually pretty liberally also as part of an app called Speechify. This app, Read to Me, in my experience, is slightly better at Speechify in terms of translating words off a printed page and a photo into audio. The cool thing about Speechify is you can also pipe in PDFs. And that to me is where the reading gets really cool. Plus, they've got 
Gwyneth Paltrow and Snoop Dogg and Mr. Well, Beast yeah, as, as voices, which is pretty cool. And Speechify was actually created by an entrepreneur named Cliff Weitzman, who speaks to the potential for this technology to help people with dyslexia. Because one thing you can do is, if you're having trouble reading something, you can scan the page and read along with it as it's in your ears as well, which is very helpful to people with that particular disability. The new feature that's just recently been introduced in Speechify, which seems like it's more of a beta for right now, but I think is a real threat to Amazon and particularly to Audible, is it connects to your Kindle account and reads your Kindle books out loud to you. It's not perfect. It doesn't operate in the background, for example. So you have to keep your phone active and on for it to work. But it's an example for me of where AI is just very close, very, very close to reaching a place where it really starts to replace humans. And I just love this. I love this whole idea. I recognize and acknowledge the downsides that you're mentioning. So you could take a photo of a GeekWire story and it would read it to you. Yes. Off the, off the computer screen. For sure. $10 a month. Yeah. Or in that case, what I do on GeekWire stories, and I do this all the time, Microsoft's Edge browser has a read aloud feature. And it's one of the reasons I like to use Edge on my Windows machine instead of Chrome. It's because built in rather than using an extension, you can just say, read this aloud to me. And it's very good. It's very good. So a lot of times I'll have my AirPods on and if I need to edit a story and if it's one of our really solid reporters where I know it's going to be typos that I'm fixing or little minor things versus a overhaul where I need to actually be at my computer and the keyboard, I'll stand up and I'll try stretching while I'm listening to the story as opposed to sitting there reading it with my eyes. And it's funny, you catch things listening to it when you're editing that you don't catch when you're reading because yeah, you tend to skim. That. Yeah, You tend to skim, especially yeah. if it's a really good reporter and you're yeah. like, I got the gist of this sentence. I'm moving on. Okay. Pick it apart. I already did. No, I already, <laughs> I already put my criticisms out there. Yeah. Um, I think it seems like a real pain in the butt to take photos of every single page you want to <laughs> listen to. Um, yeah, not my jam. And that's a little pricey at 10 bucks. It 10 is bucks a little a pricey, month. yeah. Um, Three day trial period. Which I might are you do. gonna? I know you were trying to curb your know, that's AI. You have this AI diet because you have so many subscriptions. <laughs> is this going to make the cut? No. Okay. No. Speechify is close enough. I wanted to try this, and I do yeah. think it's better, marginally better than Speechify. Very impressed by what this entrepreneur did to create this app. And again, it's called Read to Me. You can find it in the App Store, and that is my AI. <laughs> Ding dong. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. I do want to talk a little bit more about Satya Nadella's tenure at Microsoft. That's coming up next. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook on GeekWire. 
John, can you believe it has been 10 years since Satya Nadella took over at Microsoft? I cannot. Yeah, it seems like. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it is it's gone by remarkable. very quickly. Yeah. yeah, it's gone by very a good, quickly. A good run, I'd say. So far, you know, $3 trillion valuation, not too bad. Not bad. There was a great guest post that we were able to run from Soma, Soma Cigar, who worked with Satya Nadella at Microsoft. He was the head of Microsoft's developer division. He has since gone on. He's now at Madrona, the venture capital firm based here in Seattle. And he wrote, I thought, a really even-handed piece assessing Satya's 10 years, including some of the pitfalls and some of the mistakes that Satya made. They are close friends, so obviously he's not going to sit there and pick it apart on the level of perhaps some journalists, but I thought it was a great piece. Great piece, yeah. I will say that there is one huge risk and perhaps mistake that I would have included in that piece that Soma did mm. not, that I wanted to discuss here in this segment. You said it was a mistake or a... I think it's a misstep that is ongoing in a the way that Satya and his executive team, and in particular one executive who came to Microsoft from Amazon, are approaching this part oh, of Oh, I know business. what it is. Okay, that was the tip for me. Yes. So Security. Security. I think this is a huge vulnerability, ironically, for Microsoft right now, and that is the fact that they are making so much money off of security technology products at the same time that their own products, fundamental infrastructure in the U.S. government and at corporations around the world, continues to be the vector of attack for so many hackers. And we see it through the US government. We've seen it through most recently attacks by hackers associated with Russian state interests. And it was really interesting to me on Microsoft's earnings call a couple weeks ago, John. This is typically the time of year when Satya Nadella will say, we made X amount on security over the past 12 months on security technology products at this time last year, the number was $20 billion, $20 billion that they made on security over the prior 12 months. And you know what he did not say on this last call was a number. He did not give a number. I was talking to some of my contacts in the security business, including some people who used to work at Microsoft. And they said either he didn't want to tout the fact that they were making so much anymore, given all the recent security problems, or it went down. But they said the latter scenario is probably unlikely because Microsoft is probably still making a lot more than it did in the past. Okay. Well, you went off on a bit of a yeah, tangent here on the one misstep. Yes. I mean, it has been 10 years and he's gotten, and Satya Nadella has gotten a lot right. Yes, for and sure. So, and and this, was, this was chronicled in, in uh, Soma's piece, which yes. included the leadership in the cloud, which I think was very smart by Satya. Of course, the cultural transformation, which he has helped lead. Which some would argue with, you know, that Balmer Gates legacy, which we saw come out even more with Gates and some of the things that came out about his issues with women inside the company. Yeah. I've heard some internal Microsoft conversations. Some people have passed along to me audio of some of the events that they've had where employees really grilled them over whether or not the culture has actually changed. Okay. My only point is- Do you think it's, it's better debatable. than the 80s? It's, well, it'd be uh, hard to be worse I mean, than the 80s. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying. It's okay. still, there's still elements of the old Microsoft culture inside that company. Let me just say that. Keep going. Okay. 
Here's one, another one I know you're going <laughs> to pick apart. Successful acquisitions. Under Satya, sure. LinkedIn, um, GitHub. Oh my gosh, GitHub. Look at that with GitHub Copilot. I mean, I don't think you can blame Satya for Nokia. If anything, he cleaned up that mess. I will say Skype was one where they just completely dropped the ball and he could have stuck with that. And just think of what would have happened if Skype would have still had a great presence come March 2020. I mean, it would have been a different ballgame. We would have been talking about Skyping rather than Zooming. Okay. Anyway, I, I, I agree that for the most part, acquisitions have been, I would say, an A. I okay. give a letter grade of an A. What would you give for leadership in AI? Oh, Clearly, I think he deserves an A there as well. The only question is whether long-term he should have stuck with Microsoft's own technology. But the thing is, I don't think Microsoft would have released ChatGPT. Even if it had the technology, I think it was very smart for them to go with OpenAI. And OpenAI opened the floodgates. And so far, at least, that was just a stellar move, even with all the challenges they have with Sam Altman. And the OpenAI board last year. Yeah. So overall grade. Oh, over A the minus, last 10 years. A minus. A minus. Yeah. yeah. I really think that, and people could argue with that and say it's an A plus. A minus, B plus. I think that there's just some underlying things where if you really look at the, the values of the company as professed and then look at what they're actually doing, there's some places where it's like, that doesn't feel quite right based on this person's philosophy. And to me, the exhibit A for that is security. There you have it. It's been an amazing 10 years. And one of the things that he says in the book is that people inside Microsoft, people outside Microsoft, nobody thought that a person from inside the company was going to come in and turn this thing around. Or from outside the company for that matter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like there was no one that was going to turn it around, right? The interesting thing is, Fang, F-A-A-N-G, the name that Jim Cramer gave, mm -hmm. that was obviously coined without- I know. We all, I remember calling that out at yes, the time. Yeah. And that was totally wrong. Totally wrong. What in the heck is Netflix doing in that acronym? Netflix does not belong in that acronym. I've been trying to think of how to adapt it or change it, and FAM doesn't really oh. work. <laughs> well, now they're calling it the Magnificent Seven, right? Oh, gosh. That's just bad. They're not magnificent. They're big. <laughs> Those are two different things. At any rate, uh, that's Satya Nadella's first 10 years. I would say along with the rise of Amazon in the Seattle region, this is one of the canonical stories that we've chronicled in the approximately 13 years of GeekWire's existence. 13 years, is that right? Yes, 13 years. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing where it heads next. The, the one thing that cannot be disputed is that this is a far more interesting and dynamic company from a journalist perspective to cover than it was prior to Satya Nadella coming on the scene as CEO. So he's 56. So he probably has another five, maybe 10 years mm -hmm. at the company. Who do you think would be groomed for the next oh, wow. CEO? Oh, boy. Or will there be a CEO? We'll just be how, run how old, by AI. How old is Sam Altman? He's younger. Yeah. They Here, seem. They seem let's ask to. GPT. Yeah. Ask your. Ask your buddy. I'm gonna do it on Google and see if I beat you. Uh, he is 36. 30, 38. 38. Yeah. Yes. My eyesight's going. 38. I, I would say if if I had to go in and put down a bet in Vegas right now, that's who I would put my my money on. Yeah. 
not a, not a bad choice. All right, we'll check back in about 10 years and we'll find out, <laughs> hopefully, if we're still around. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. Editing this week by Kurt Milton. You can subscribe to the GeekWire podcast wherever you listen. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review in your favorite podcast app. Until next time, I'm Todd Bishop. And I'm John Cook. Thanks for listening to GeekWire.